Welcome back, warriors. Guayanin Deluisi Pam Palmeter, and I am the host of this podcast, The Warrior Life. We cover everything from native sovereignty, treaties, and land back to decolonization, reconciliation, and how to support the struggle. So if you're interested in hearing from a wide variety of Native peoples from all backgrounds, from sovereign nations all over Turtle Island, talk about the ways in which they engage in Indigenous resistance, resurgence, and cultural revitalization, then this is the podcast for you. And don't forget, there's many free ways to support this podcast. You can like it, you can leave a nice comment, you can give it five stars on your podcast app, or share it on your social media. Or if you want to, you can do all of it, really. On today's podcast, we have an amazing Mi'kmaq woman that I have been trying to get on this show forever. I I think maybe I'm her biggest fan. Not only is she an award-winning artist, but she's also known, at least according to Instagram, as being a burger lover. So you don't want to miss this episode. This promises to be very interesting. Welcome back, everybody. To everybody who is out there, hello and bonjour. Welcome to a new season of the Warrior Life podcast. Today we have with us an award-winning Mi'kmaq artist who has shown her work in numerous professional shows. And I'm going to have to admit right now that I'm going to be entirely biased in this episode because I commissioned some art from her, and I can't wait to talk about it and show it to all of you today who are watching it on YouTube or describe it in the best way that I can, even though I think sometimes art has to be seen and felt and smelled to be truly appreciated. And why I'm saying smell, you'll find out in a minute. But without further ado, let's bring on to the Warrior Life podcast, Melissa Peter Paul. Welcome, Melissa. Hey. Melissa Peter Paul My name is Melissa Peter Paul and I'm from Ebigwet First Nation. For anyone who doesn't know about the Mi'kmaq, that we have like so many First Nations within our Mi'kmaq territory, Mi'kmaq, and Ebigwet in PEI is one of them. Because I think there's two First Nations in PEI, isn't that right? Yeah. Two, yeah. Yes. Mi'kmaq one. So thank you so much for coming on this show. As I said in the intro, I'm a huge, huge fan of yours. Before we even get started, because I had to do full disclosure, here's the reason why I am biased about this episode. Do you see this beautiful quillwork medallion? Do you see that? I, I, I It even comes on uh, sinew so I can wear it, but I also have it beside me at all times. This is actually quillwork. I know you probably can't see it as well as in person, but... The color is beautiful. The quill work is beautiful. The design is beautiful. It's totally Mi'kmaq with the eight-pointed star. And when I was saying earlier how you have to feel it and also smell it to appreciate it, you can actually feel each individual quill that goes into this. And there's a little bit of sweet grass that's attached to this birch bark. And it just makes me happy every day to pull this out and look at it and see it when I'm doing all of my work. This is just one of many things that Melissa does. And she is just so full of like amazing art and creativity. And she's just spreading joy to so many people. So before I just, you know, go off with a thousand questions, Melissa, maybe you could tell us a little bit about your community and family and how you got into all this. So I live in a small community uh, about 20 minutes east of Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. I've lived here most of my life. Um, I live in my family home right now. So yeah, it feels really good being able to raise my children where I was raised in the exact same home in the same community. And um, yeah, so I, I moved away for school just a little bit during high school. Um, I think I was like 16 when I was um, on my own uh, just to finish high school and stuff like that. So, but I did come back to my community and 
Um, well, I lived in the in Charlottetown for a few years when I had my son, but we were always close, always involved. Um, so we have a lot of family here. And mm-hmm. um, like this is the area where my family would harvest. And I can't say hunt. <laughs> we don't, we, like, well, we have like fish and stuff, but. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> on a tiny island (laughs) yeah so a lot of our harvesting um for my family was done here and I'm so grateful that my grandmother um and my my grandparents and my aunts and uncles and they they were all involved in it and that Mm -hmm. was the way of life for them you know going into the woods and they knew all the spots around our community like where to get what medicine like it was like um it was comforting, but also when I was growing up, it wasn't, it, it was a way of life for us, but it wasn't something that I really knew a lot about. I just knew like, okay, I got to go with Graham to go here. <laughs> I got to go do this. Like, so it was, it was comforting knowing that, you know, I had a short period of time that I got to spend with my grandmother and get those teachings and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, so now I'm actually picking sweetgrass in the same spot that my grandmothers did. And that's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so, uh, it's such an honor to be able to sit there and, and pick and just smell that medicine and just to be in that moment. And, you know, cause you can feel them like everything that I do, I can feel my ancestors presence. Mm-hmm. And I think that connection, um, is what keeps me going and what keeps the creativity coming and what keeps the strength too, just to get through daily life activities. Like, Mm. um, so quill work has been, has been amazing for me. And, and I love that I get to share it with other people. Yeah. (laughs) I'm not creative at all. You know, I have like a massive family, eight sisters and three brothers. And some of my sisters are super great at like beading or painting or drawing or making clothes. Uh, I didn't get any of those talents. <laughs> so I have to support Indigenous artists, not have to. I like to support <laughs> Indigenous artists. But, you know, for people who are on the podcast, I won't be able to explain it properly. But my medallion, for example, is the eight pointed star. It's got like lots of the traditional colors in it, you know, black, white, yellow, red, of course, red, but it also has yellow in it and uh, like a lighter blue. But if you go online and look at these, they, they it's not like she just makes this and does the same one over and over. Each one she does is so unique. And some of them are super detailed. And I'm thinking, how on earth do you do that with a quill? It's not like a bead. A bead is, you know, you can make just about anything out of beads. But I'm thinking, how do you do all this detail with quill work? A lot of practice. (laughs) (laughs) So I've been quilling uh, since 2014. So it's about eight years now. Um, But before that, you know, I was doing beadwork, I was making regalia, um, just whatever I could do with my hands to be creative, like, at an early age, like, I, I, I knew that's what I needed. So like, I even remember my mom, like, she would be up sewing regalias all night. And um, I'm like, oh, I want to make scrunchies with your leftover <laughs> material. So I would be like jamming up her sewing machine, like not even sure how to work it. Like, but I was determined. I did make some, <laughs> but there was a lot of stitches like gathered up on my scrunchies. I'm like, well, you just flip them inside out anyway. <laughs> so um, I'm so grateful that my parents, they always encourage that creativity and um, and for them as well, seeing them being creative, but that was because, you know, they knew they needed to provide, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't, you didn't see them being creative all the time. Um, but during the winter, you know, when months were harder and we struggled more, you know, our family, we would be making things to sell. And I just, I don't, I, I'm just so grateful that um, they passed that that knowledge and that gift on to me. Um, 
that, you know, I have this as a way of life, you know, and to take care of me and my children. So mm-hmm. we never feel stuck. And that's something I can take from my grandparents. Like they were never stuck. They had all of their family that was making mm-hmm. baskets and everybody in their family had a different role in the basket making. So when I was asking my uncles and my aunts and how to make baskets, I would get different stories from each of uh, my uncles and my aunts because they all had a different role in the basket making. So it was pretty neat. Like um, at the end of it, and I'm like, huh, they all did different things. And just to hear those different stories and Mm -hmm. to know that's like all passing on. It's, it's pretty cool. It is so special when you think about it. So, I mean, this is beautiful. And I think every artist also adds their own interpretation, their own vision in every piece they do. But it's so you couldn't not look at this and say, oh, I wonder what nation that comes from. I mean, that's so clearly Nigma, right? You know, the colors are eight pointed star. And I just think about, you know, you're carrying it on. You're doing it in the present your kids will be impacted by that, whether they do that kind of art or any art, it's just being around it and that it came from your family, came from the ancestors and it's carrying on a culture that Canada literally tried to destroy. The Indian Act tried to outlaw, like all of the significant challenges. And it's not to say that, you know, we still don't have these challenges, but to know that art helped inspire it helped give people hope it helped remind us of our culture and connection it was like a a form of resistance too. think about the people that were still doing art even though at the time it it wasn't um, something that was celebrated and also the fact that it's it's in line with our traditions like you think about our traditions how we would make things manufacture things uh, gather things and we would trade with other nations you know like some of the trade was really extensive So what you're doing now uh, is engaging in a traditional form of trade. You know, you make these things and you sell them. And it's this trade that we've just been doing forever. And that's what I like about it so much. I can just hold on to my medallion and know it's these are our ancestors. These are our people. These are like your heart went into this and all of the effort. And it's funny that you raise like basket weaving. Because uh, some of my sisters did basket weaving. They had to learn from other people how to do it. And just listening to them, like preparing it and talking and laughing and telling stories like when I was younger, that's so meaningful. You just have that forever. And like you said, you've all, I think you said you've been doing quill work for about eight years. Yes, eight years. What made you decide to get into quill work specifically? So my cousin, Cheryl Simon, um, she was doing quill work and she had, she was doing um, quill work workshops in our community and she had messaged me and she's like, are you coming? I'm like, okay. (laughs) Um, So I went to her workshop and then like, soon as I picked up that quill, like it was like something woke up inside of me and I've never touched a porcupine quill before. And I wasn't even aware of our family's history with quill work at the time. Um, So it was supposed to be like an all day workshop. And I think I probably finished in in an hour and a half. (laughs) And um, I just, I felt so much pride and so much joy doing this quill work. And it feels like that's what I was searching for all my life. Like I knew I needed to be creative and I knew that's what made me feel better. Um, But once I did quill work, there was a certain spark that lit inside me that um, I still feel it today. And that connection to the art, to the culture, you know, to my ancestors is something that is so strong um, it's just, it's so beautiful. And I'm so grateful that I get to make art and something that, you know, a traditional art that our ancestors Mm -hmm. have made and I get to keep it going and I get to share this art with people. So I do workshops and I love doing workshops and 
And I'm like, are they going to feel it? Are they going to feel that? <laughs> like, you know, and the workshops are so, they're always so great. And people, mm-hmm. you know, when they first sit down, they see, they see these, you know, natural materials and they're like, I can't make that. And I'm like, yes, mm-hmm. you can. Aww. Yeah, so I've I've taught quill work to ages like three to eighty. Like, no, <laughs> yeah. well, not too late for me then. <laughs> not too late. Yeah, That's so. awesome. I, and like when I think about it, because that would have been my reaction as you were talking. You know that you learned it later in life, and that other people can learn it. And I was thinking, oh yeah, no, I can't. Like I don't have a creative bone in my body. But then I think about your journey. You haven't been doing quill work since you were three years old. You, you That wasn't in your mind. This is going to be my path forward. And that just goes to show, you know how the elders say, sometimes you know your path and you're working along it, but sometimes the path just unravels in front of you and you had no idea yeah. what you were going to do, but you embraced opportunities and different experiences. And, yeah. and now here you are like this totally famous Mi'kmaq artist. And you don't just do... Um, medallions do you like because if you look at the store on your website you you make a whole bunch of different things and maybe you could just tell some of the listeners or viewers some of the other things that you make because these are like this is commissioned artwork that stands in and of itself like I'm terrified to even wear it because I never (laughs) want to do anything to damage it it's like oh I just value it so much but you also have other things too yeah so um I just want to make sure that I'm engaging all my customers with all different kinds of budgets. Um, Cause I know for me, I know what it feels like to hold a piece of coal work to own it. And um, so I have different things on my store. Like I have like this little ornament with like snowflakes on it. Um, it's got like a, a light blue and a kind of like an indigo color. Mm-hmm. And so I have like, and then I have like cards as well. And just, uh, and I have like kits too. Like um, if somebody wanted to learn, um, I would send them a kit and like a YouTube link on, sh- on like how to make it like a tutorial. So there's different stuff on my website, but there's going to be posters coming this month on my website so that's something I'm really excited about because I always make these little um, things on and then I post them on my social media. So mm-hmm. there's like 12 pieces of my quill work and everyone's like make posters and yes. I don't know how many posters. So um, there was this week one lady had messaged me and she's like, did you um, order your posters yet? I'm like, no. And then I made it up and couple hours later I was like I made them (laughs) like now is the time because like I have about 18 days left until our indigenous Christmas market in Charlottetown so so for October and November is when I kind of take a break of from my big commission orders Mm -hmm. because I want to be able to make these smaller pieces and they're more like um I would spend a whole day making ornaments rather than just making one at a time Right. Um, yeah, so our Christmas market is coming up on November 26th, and I'm so excited. Mm-hmm. It's such a wonderful event. This is something that I had started in 2018, uh, but now we we have our Indigenous Tourism Association of PEI that took over um, the event, and it's so beautiful. It's so wonderful. So that's what I'm working on now. <laughs> oh, my gosh. There is not enough time. Uh, in November or December I feel like once you hit November everything's a race you know to get ready for Christmas or the holidays or all of the craft shows everywhere like I just wish I was a billionaire with my own private jet so I could just jet in and out of every like indigenous craft fair that happens all before the holidays because that some of the best work is there like most of the work I get from powwows, obviously, right? People bring their beautiful art and you can just get so many amazing things at powwows. But really the biggest time to get all of that kind of arts and crafts and everything else is at Christmas fairs. And it's like, oh, makes me want to just book a flight to Charlottetown because that's so awesome. One of the things that I really like about your store is you can, you like 
people like me can contact you and ask for a beautiful commission piece. And that takes a while to do. And obviously, because it's so amazing. But like you said, there are things on there that people with all different price brackets can buy. And I think not only is that important for an online store, because it's a way of making sure everyone gets to benefit mm -hmm. from our traditions, right? But also, they do that at powwows and they do that at Christmas shows. So you can buy someone a gift that looks like it's worth $200, you know, um, like that little ornament that you were showing, the little Christmas ornament. Um, and, and it's got all the culture and the meaning and love in it. And so it's not really about the price, but the price makes it accessible. Yes. And I, I wanted to ask you about that because I know it's probably like a pet peeve maybe a pet peeve of yours, but it's a pet peeve of mine when I hear people go through markets, uh, say non-native people, or they happen to visit a powwow or an art showing, and they say, oh my gosh, this, this is so expensive. Like, why are they overcharging for all of these like arts and crafts? Because in their mind, they belittle it to like an arts and craft and they don't understand what goes into it. Like anyone who sees this medallion where you go online and you see Melissa's store, for example, this wasn't just thrown together in an hour. <laughs> you know what I mean? This, this takes a long time. Like what's all involved in making just something like this? One of these really big medallions that are on birch bark has sweet grass and all of these different colored quills. So before any of the design happens, all the harvesting has to happen. So the harvesting takes place um, certain times of the year. And we always have to make sure that we have enough to last us a year. Um, and also, but we're only taking um, what we need. So if you're a first time quiller, that would be difficult um, to determine, like, how much are you going to need? So always start off small. <laughs> So you might have cousins that have some extra materials. <laughs> so, we you know, we start with our sweet grass. Um, actually, we start with our spruce roots because once it's springtime and the ground is soft, that's when we can harvest our spruce roots. And then also there's birch bark that we're going to harvest. We have about a two-week window out of the year um, to harvest summer bark. So, and sometimes... Um, it's when the fireflies are out and sometimes it's like way after or way before, you know, because of climate change that has changed. And so I'm always ready that time of the year. It could be two weeks before or two weeks after. Um, and then we're picking our sweet grass in August. So my mother comes home from Alberta every summer to come and pick sweet grass. And because I, I was a slow picker. <laughs> my, mother, my mother is so quick and I used to be so scared of bumblebees and it would be so hot. Like I would probably take a little tiny braid and my mother could be down there in like two, three hours. And I'm just like, wow, like she's so strong and she's wow. so determined. But you know, this is what she was doing since she was a little girl as well. <laughs> so she knows, she knows what it takes. Um, to get this job done. And mm -hmm. so she would always come down. And the first, in the early years when I started quilling, um, she was doing all of the harvesting for me. Because when I was with her, I'm like, is this it? <laughs> <laughs> Mom, is this it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mom, when are we going to go eat? Like, <laughs> like just bugging her. Oh my gosh. <laughs> even when like, even like being little and being yeah. out there and I'm like, why are we here? Oh yeah, yeah. We already got sweetgrass last year. <laughs> um, but like all of these things were happening when I was younger and when I was a child. And although I probably didn't know the importance of it, you know, I'm so glad that I was there to experience it. And now to know, you know, all of that knowledge and I'm just so grateful. So once I get 
the spruce roots, the sweet grass, the birch bark, and now it's time to get some porcupine quills. So I live on this beautiful island called Ebiguit, and there is no porcupines on this island oh, at no. all. <laughs> no, so I was, every time I would leave, go to powwows, go visit family, you know, um, I'm looking for porcupines and I'm so grateful that I have like a huge network of people that are always letting me know, Hey, there's a porcupine here. Go get it. Go get it. So, um, if I was traveling, you know, I would pick up a porcupine and bring it home and pluck it. Um, but now I have a family member named Janice. She's my cousin. She lives in Elsiebukduk first nation and she does all my harvesting for me. And it's it's so awesome because I showed up at your at our house one time with a dead porcupine. I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna pluck this over here. And she's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you wanna help me? Like and so like she wasn't really exposed to anything like like that. So uh, she ended up loving it. And I'm looking at her like, what? Like <laughs> Like she took over the whole task and she was like fucking and totally into it. And so like, it's, it's so heartwarming to know that, you know, I have that family support and also making those family bonds and connections stronger. And so, um, so she does all my harvesting now for me, but if I am across and I see a porcupine, I'll bring it home, but I really don't have time to do yeah. it anymore. So Janice does most of it. And then we have people that drop the porcupines off to her. So it's pretty, wow. cool. yeah, it's pretty cool. But before that I was driving, looking, um, most of the times coming home empty handed and especially during the pandemic when, you know, um, we were on lockdown and couldn't even leave the island. Like I was like, "What? Well, I need porcupine. Like this is how I, yeah, ride for my family. Like it was because lockdown was in March. So I'm like ready to go looking for porcupines in April and we couldn't leave. Right. So then that's when wow. Janice, my cousin came into the picture and she was like, I'll do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I, I am so grateful to have those family connections and that they're showing the interest and love into this art and yeah. it's making you know all of this these bonds stronger and I'm so grateful <laughs> this art has done so much for me and my family mm -hmm. and yeah so once we get the quills then <laughs> I have to clean them so nice. I can get about a shoebox of quills from one porcupine and that could be maybe two batches of colors that might last a year. So typically I would need about 15 to 20 porcupines a year. If I was quilling, like, like now I would before I would probably need like two or three porcupines, but I need 15 to 20 porcupines now. Um, and Janice, uh, she did get me that many this year. So I'm so glad that, you know, I have enough. And, and also enough for my quill workshops. So once they're all cleaned and then they're dyed, um, then they get sorted. And then, then I make the design for the piece. So I talk with my customer and, you know, I ask them what their favorite color is or what color kind of speaks with them. And sometimes they have um, like stories to tell me. So all of that goes into the design and and my smudge is lit and, you know, I'm always, when I'm ready to take um, an order and I could never tell people like for sure which day I'm going to take it. And I'm saying like, okay, in two weeks, I'll get a hold of you. I'll be ready. So sometimes it could be a Tuesday. Sometimes it could be a Monday. Like, I don't know. Cause you really, your whole mind, body, and spirit, like it has to be, like I have to be ready to take this on because those connections are so strong. And when I make this art that I really can't do anything else. <laughs> like there's times I'm sitting there for 18 hours and what? I'm just lost into this quill work. And I'm just like, 
So I always make sure my house is clean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have a bunch of food. Yeah. And, you know, I don't have any other meetings because it's so hard to put the work down. Yeah. Once I'm into that zone. And um, so then the colors, like when people tell me their favorite colors or what works for them or, and I just go through that whole process and I'm just like, like, just letting the creativity come to me, letting the design mm -hmm. come to me, but also having the inspiration from all of my ancestors' co work too. So, um, and making sure that I'm staying true to, you know, our Mi'kmaq designs is, is yeah. really important to me because people can pick it out. Like people can really pick out it's Mi'kmaq quill work. And then that is such an honor for me that I'm able to do that. And people recognize, you know, this is Mi'kmaq quill work. I'm like, yes. Yes, because <laughs> that's important to me, you know, staying yeah. true to those. Wow. So when you think about it, everyone who is listening to this, we're not talking about sitting down at the table, you know, having a chat with someone for an hour and there you've got this this kind of medallion done. It's it's all of the prep work, the cost, the labor associated with even just acquiring the materials. And I don't know that everybody really appreciates that. That in and of itself is part of the item. And then the consultations, you know, like our consultation was awesome. You just kind of knew exactly what I was looking for. I didn't have to explain it or anything. And, and, um, and you were right. So for anyone who's wondering, I didn't just call her one day and say, Hey, this is what I want. I reached out and contacted her and she's like, well, I'll get back to you when you know, we can consult on this. And so there's all of that prep work, all of the coloring, you know, the consultation, then the design, and then you have to sit down and actually do the quill work. I mean, obviously, in addition to getting all of the, you know, sweet grass or birch and everything else, what, what, I guess my question is, you know, that's a lot of work even before you even start doing the quill work. But something like this must take a very long time. Like this is more than just a couple hours work, isn't it? Yeah, that was probably 20, maybe, no, maybe it was under 20 hours. So, um, and sometimes I'm holding the quill sitting there for like 30 minutes. Like, where is this going to go? Oh, like, yeah. So I'm like. Like, where is this going to go? How is this going to work? And then, you know, I'm late in my smudge and I'm coming back and I'm like, okay, like, um, but I can do that a lot quicker now. <laughs> well, with experience, yeah. right? Yeah. But, but that's the same thing. People have to also pay for experience, right? So yeah. just think when a lawyer starts out and they're a junior lawyer, it's going to take them 20 hours just to research, to be able to answer your question. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, that's why they're paid, I don't know, $100 an hour, for example. Yeah. But an experienced lawyer who knows all of that and has the experience would be able to get back to you in the moment. And that's why they charge more. And so when you think about artists, it's the same way. You're so, everything you do, I'm assuming must be another learning. It's more experience. It's, you know, just the creative juices flowing. And so that also has value. Yes. That's, uh, you know, and then of course, there's the promotion, you've got to put time, money and effort into, you know, supporting your families who support you do this, creating a website, doing the social media promotion, like, there's so much that goes into it that at the end of the day, you're like, wait a second, I think I actually got this for a really good price, <laughs> you know, because if you had to go out and do it yourself, mm -hmm. that would take like a week or more of work. And when you say like 20 hours, of of just the quill work part, not all the prep. If you put that all together, that's probably like two weeks worth of time. Yeah. And so, what would what would other people make in a different profession for two weeks worth of hours and time? And so, I think when people step back and see it that way, mm -hmm. then they're a little bit more cognizant of the fact, and maybe a little bit more respectful. There's nothing I hate worse than seeing someone go up to like an artist at a powwow and try to dicker. You know, yeah. well, you know, this isn't perfect. So maybe I should get it for half price. I'm like, oh, oh, that's please don't do that to people. Please don't yeah. do that to people. Yeah. So I had that experience when I was an apprentice with Cheryl. And, you know, she 
she sent me off to set up my booth and with all the quill work that I had made during my apprenticeship. And she was like, just be very mindful that, you know, um, that people will come by and be like, Oh no, that's too much or whatever. Just, you know, and she taught me to, to stand by Mm -hmm. my work, to stand by my prices and just to know your worth and know the value and the, the cultural connections and traditions and knowledge that comes behind that piece. Right. That's the, that's the part that has the value. Mm-hmm. And so I'm really good at it when people yeah. are just like, Oh my God, no, that's too expensive. And I'm like, thank you. Yeah. And sometimes people will come and ask, um, you know, what goes into it. And that's a whole nother story. Like I'm telling them and I'm like, okay. So, um, but I'm very, very honored that, you know, my, my, um, like when I set up and sell, like, I don't really get those kind of comments that often. Yeah. It's good. <laughs> it's good. Yeah. That I <laughs> well, I think times are changing a bit yeah. instead of seeing it, you know, non-native people used to look at that as just like a, a, a knickknack or something that yeah. you could buy in a, you know, a, a store that just sells tourist items or whatever. It's really, really trying to understand. I think more and more people are starting to understand what that means um, and and what goes into it. And also, you know, when they think about it, oh, that's too much. They really just need to turn that around and say, that's too much for me. Yes. I can't afford that beautiful, expensive piece of artwork, right? Yeah. It's not that like if I go and buy a truck and, and they say it's $50,000 and I say, oh, that's too much for that truck. You know, how could you question the, the you know, quality workmanship in yeah. a truck when it's the real issue is it's maybe it's just too much for them. Yeah. And I think that's important. Like if you can see oh, on this side, I have a basket that's made of pine quills. I don't even know how you do that. Uh, and then it's all like, it's all like woven in and it's got all of this beading around it. I got that at a powwow in six nations. And this woman had, I, I don't remember what else she was selling, but she had that kind of like on the inside of her tent that she was selling. And I went over, I saw, and I was like, my gosh, that's beautiful. That must've taken forever to you know, to make. And I said, is that part of what you're selling? Is that a demonstration? And she said, oh yeah, like it's, it's for sale, but not to anybody. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Cause I hadn't even asked the price. And uh, she said, well, come on in here and let me talk to you. And she asked me like a thousand questions. Do I understand what goes into native artwork? Do I understand the traditions behind it? Like, uh, it was just like this, um, almost like an interview. You yeah. know what I mean? And at the end of it, because my son was there with me, because uh, we love these Six Nations Mohawk. Uh, <laughs> they have so many vendors there. And she was like, okay, well, if you can promise to take care of this, then then maybe I will sell this to you. Do you Aww. think you can keep that responsibility? And still, there was no mention of price. And so at that point, I thought if I qualified <laughs> interview to even touch that piece, I don't care what she's asking for. And I don't even remember what it was. Yeah. But it, it's like, it's like this, it stays with me all the time. It makes me remember how important it is that that's even a lesson that we need to learn. Like amongst ourselves, sometimes we don't always appreciate it or between nations. I don't know what's valuable to them. I don't know what's part of their tradition. Now I have a little piece of that. And I still think that was the best interview I ever did. I think it was the one that I was most excited about. But again, it shows the worth of these pieces. Yeah. And also when that piece gets transferred to you, you know, some of that knowledge gets transferred too, right? So it's almost like a duty you have like to pass yeah. those traditions on to pass that education part on. And even if it's just a tiny little bit. So when I was doing a workshop with the youth and we were, we were picking sweet grass and the youth in my community was like, well, I don't need to know this. And I said, yes, you do. I said, just pick it once. And he was like, why? I said, well, what if you're the only one left in the community that has this knowledge? 
And then they were like, all right, all right, I get it. And I'm like, yeah. So if you were the only one left with that knowledge and how to pick sweetgrass, you know, you could pass that on to somebody and then you save, we save it, right? It stays with our community. It stays with our people. So um, I'm so grateful that when I get to work with the youth, you know, they're kind of like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. <laughs> once they get into it, you know, yeah. and once they see their work and that pride, you know, that big mob pride comes shining through and they're like, look what I made. <laughs> and um, they're so good at it. Oh. Like, you know, it's like that, that, that memory in their hands, you know, from their ancestors and they're doing this quill work and it's just, oh. it's so awesome to see it. So I'm glad I get to work with the youth and elders and, and children and, and the, I get to share that connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with that quill work, so, so I've been doing it for eight years and like, and like, I, I don't know if I'll do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> There's so many different opportunities that come with my quill work. Um, and it's something different every day. And um, yeah, it's just it's just a beautiful journey um, that the quills are taking me on. And uh, yeah, I just love it. <laughs> Please tell me that you don't also have to work two or three other jobs in addition to this one, please. Cause I, I just can't imagine if you had to work full time with some other job plus work full time at art, how anyone would even do that. And I know that some artists have to do that. No, I do my art full time. Yeah. So in 2018 is when I took the leap and, you know, I got a business mentor and, went through this whole business program. And that's when I was like, okay, I'm taking the leap. And my boss really supported me in doing it. And I'm like, okay, I'm like, does this mean you just don't want me to come back? <laughs> and she's like, no, like she really, she saw something, you yeah. know, that probably I couldn't see, or I probably didn't have that that push or that confidence, but she saw mm -hmm. it. All of the work that I was doing with Mi'kmaq artists. So I was a craft development officer. So I was working with all the Mi'kmaq artists here on the oh, island wow. and I was getting them help in their business or I was helping with pricing or I was um, like, we had a cultural center in Cavendish that I was working at and artists would come every week and they would set up. And so I was helping the artists, you know, get to the place where I wanted to be. Yeah. I, I think I wanted to be there. I didn't even know. I just, you know, I knew that there was this whole network of Mi'kmaq artists that, mm -hmm. you know, they needed, they needed that support. So, yeah. um, so now we have so many people creating, we have so like a handful of Mi'kmaq quillers here on the Island now and we have the Quill Sisters podcast. I'm not in it, but I still like my website. <laughs> well, um, what is that? What is that? Because we can pro promote that here too. Yeah. What is the Quill Sisters podcast? That just for people who don't know. Yeah. So when I was the craft development officer, I was doing some work in Lenox Island PEI. And I was visiting the Molly studio. So that's Mi'kmaq Artisans of Lenox Island. So it's Molly. And... Um, Kay Sark and Cheryl Simon, we were doing a lot of work together. And then we end up just having this group chat and I'm like, Hey, my cool sisters. <laughs> so that's how the name came about. I just called them my cool sisters, you know, because that's what connected us. And so we called each other cool sisters probably a few years before even the thought of a podcast came to our minds. And so then I designed the logo and I put it on the website and I was like, okay, we're ready to go. And then I had some health issues and I wasn't able to be a part of the podcast and it just, um, it just didn't work out for me. So, but I still promote them and I listen to all their stories and someday I'll get back on there. <laughs> some days I'll get on there, but 
Um, it's so you can hear all the different interviews from like my uncles and my mom and my auntie and, and all of the stories of like our quill experiences. Like, um, it's just, it's a, it's a beautiful podcast. You can hear all the different, uh, different things on there about quill work. Epiquit Quill Sisters podcast is so unique. It makes you feel like you're just sitting on someone's kitchen table, yeah. having tea, talking about culture, talking about family, having laughs. I mean, yeah. that's all part of our culture. And again, yeah. I'm just going to promote this uh, Epiquit Quill Sisters podcast. We'll post links, of course, in the pod my podcast here and in the YouTube. And just so you know, there is a very special medallion that is featured in the logo for this podcast. So I feel like not only am I part of this amazing art, but I'm now part of another cool podcast. This is just so awesome. Aww. Yeah, no, it's really good. And um, I wanted to make sure that we didn't, you know, miss out because there's some things I want to get some advice from you in terms of how we can support artists, mm -hmm. but it, it's important to know because obviously Melissa is very humble, but if you go to her website and look at her CV, she's gotten like grants in 2016, 2018, 2019, 2020 to support the work that she's doing at the Atlantic craft trade show. She won best new product award with the Mi'kmaq quill art she does shows. Uh, there was a show in June 2021 called Stitching Ourselves Together. And there's just been a whole list. Like if you look at her CV and take time to go look at it, because this also is part of the art. You know, mm -hmm. you it's participating. It's supporting other artists. It's mentoring other artists. It's collaborating. It's showing your work. All of that. I know basically everything you do is in this medallion too. So there's lots of shows that she's been on. She's done lots of commissioned work. And again, I'm there. <laughs> I commissioned this. So I just seeing my name there, I was like, Oh, I feel so excited. and then there's lots of articles that you can go and read about it. Um, basically everything is here. And if I got this right, yes. She also has a gallery on her website where you can look at just individual pictures of mm -hmm. some of the medallions she's done. She's got yeah. uh, like baskets there. She's got the ornaments. It's just phenomenal. Just looking at it will make you all happy. And so I suggest that you all do that. But in addition to that, Melissa, before we let you go, what are some ways that we that could be Canadians, that could be Americans, it could be uh, First Nations. How can we support Native artists? What are the kinds of things we could do to support you all? Oh, the, well, the number one thing is buy our art. <laughs> <laughs> but also, um, you know, if you're not able to buy art, share in, you know, social media posts um, of artists. And I have a lot of different, like, organizations that take their time, like, to highlight artists. So I've gotten a lot of opportunities just from that alone. Um, so stuff like that, you know, just sharing other people's posts, other artists posts, you know, it's, it's, it helps get our work out there. Right. So that's, um, that's, I think that's the main thing for me when other people share it and, mm -hmm. and have those conversations and, mm -hmm. you know, it just, uh, it, it all come, it all come. So yeah. Yeah. And now like if people come and listen to this podcast, they will hear you and your voice and your experiences and they'll actually know the person behind the art. And I think that's also a part of it too. You know, then you have a connection of some sort to all of this. Mm -hmm. And so I will post a link to her store in the YouTube description box. It's, it's here in the video. It'll be in the podcast. And Let's support her and all the other Indigenous artists. Let's support on social media. That doesn't cost anything to do to mm -hmm. say, hey, check out this amazing artwork, you know. And I know for me, I'm, I'm a terrible, terrible, terrible addict for Native artists. And one of the worst inventions or best has been Instagram. Yeah. You know about Instagram? It's not like Twitter where you just, you know, put however many characters. It's literally a picture a bright, beautiful picture of something like this and says, hey, I do commission work. And it's like, no, no, <laughs> I want this. <laughs> Instagram has become like a, 
it's like the powwow, yeah. you know, or a, a Christmas fair. You get to look at the actual work. You know, it could be beading, it could be earrings, it could be regalia, it could be this kind of beautiful work. And just say, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to shop this artist. And so whatever you can do to everyone who's listening or watching, yeah. please support Native artists and legitimate actual Native artists. Not the ones that are made in China. No offense to China, but they're not Native. Um, not from any of the people who are fraudulently claiming to be yeah. Native. It only takes a little bit of work to do research on an artist and because that's the other thing we have to be responsible about supporting actual native art that's actual Mi'kmaq culture and tradition and not some kind of generic made-up stuff that you could find on google because all that does is hurt our culture in fact exactly yeah yeah so I can't thank you enough. I, I cannot believe that we have been gabbing for an hour. It's <laughs> the time has gone by so quick. I and I know it's because I'm just like fan, total <laughs> fan girl over all of your work and everything you do and the way you do it mm. and how you're promoting the culture. And I I benefit from that. My kids benefit from that. Even though we're from different reserves, we're all part of one big Mi'kmaq mm -hmm. nation. Thank you for all the work you do. I know it's not easy. Um, but I can tell by the way you talk about what you do that you just kind of go off into a different place and it's all like passion and love and commitment. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of it. And for coming on my podcast. Well, thank you for inviting me. I'm so glad that we finally got to do this. And I want to thank you for all the work that you're doing too. It's so important. So yeah, see, we just all support one another, you know? Yeah. And now I'm going to be famous because my medallion <laughs> on the Pearl Sisters podcast logo. So I feel like that's forever. I'm just going to be famous. Oh. And all, all of the people who are listening to the podcast, Warrior Life podcast, or watching the Warrior Life podcast on YouTube, like I said, all of the links will be there. I have been showing her Twitter account, her Instagram account, her website, her store, the link to the Quill Sisters podcast. You know, that's going to be awesome. Share it widely it's free share it and support native artists and don't forget support like indigenous content creators sometimes they might have a patreon they might have a buy me a coffee they might have a, a gofundme page for a specific project there's also ways you can support financially at your own means so it doesn't have to be buying the most expensive piece of art it can be well i'm going to support her on a daily basis or on a monthly basis or a one-time support all of that means something. Yep. So thank you all for listening, for watching, for supporting this podcast, the Warrior Life podcast. And until next time, keep living a warrior life. Well, Aliag. <laughs>